the children are dismissed back to Praise Factory. And if you'd open your Bible to Genesis chapter 18, we'll be reading uh, starting in, in verse 16 and picking up the passage that we, um, we began a, a number of weeks ago, and so we'll spend some time there. We're also going to pray um, and ask God to, to bless our time in the Word. We'll be praying um, for the Abdul people of India. Uh, 60,000 people widespread throughout India, uh, just a, a very small community, uh, almost completely Islam, almost completely illiterate, uh, and therefore uh, in need of, of people to preach the gospel to them. Um, I just want to say, once once upon a time, Nancy went to a ladies' retreat, and, uh, and uh, I used to have this collection of ties from my grandfather that, um, that I, I was not allowed to wear. Uh, one of them... This navy blue tie, which had red, yellow, and green eagles on it. And they were awesome. Um, is Jacob Bennett here? I think I gave him this tie um, one, one day. Uh, but, but so she went away to the ladies' retreat and, and then came home in the afternoon. I was still, you know, wearing my white shirt. And I was not preaching at the time. You know, I was just a, uh, just a church attender. And I had this tie on. She walks in the house and she said... You wore that out in public? And then she hid them all. She boxed them up and hid them where I couldn't find them. And, 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 and while I was carrying moving boxes one day, I came upon this box that was all, like, taped up or something. And I opened up, and there were my ties. Um, so I will wear that tie. Uh, they said, would you wear a clown suit? And I said, no. So anyway, um, we're going to read from uh, Genesis chapter 18. Uh, we'll start in verse 16, and we're going we're gonna to read to the end of the chapter. The scripture says, Then the men set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done all together according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not... I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you then destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again, he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of forty, I will not do it. 
And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, For the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to, to come before you spiritually and to open our hearts and minds to hear your word. And we thank you that you have spoken to us. Uh, this is a Bible story, yes. But we believe that this is an accurate account of a conversation that you had with Abraham where you spoke and your Holy Spirit has superintended these words and brought them down to us today that we might know your character, your heart, your way, and that we might be pleased with it. And having heard it, And accepting it, we might walk in it. We pray, Father, that that these truths which are written here would be written on our hearts and that we would believe them and that we we would follow the truth wherever it goes in Scripture and then obey the implications of it. We pray your grace on this time. We lift up these 60,000 people in India, Lord. All of them, it is believed, Sunni Muslim, None of them knowing who you are. None of them having your scripture. And we pray that you would send those who proclaim the gospel among them and save them for your glory. Deliver them from judgment, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, uh, throughout Salisbury, the United States, and through the world, people are celebrating Palm Sunday, which is a, uh, a day when, when the church gathers. Some churches will give away palms to be folded into some kind of configuration and then brought back to church uh, in a year on, on Ash Wednesday. And, and we don't do that because we don't believe that there's any, any spiritual value in pursuing that practice. But, but some people, uh, some Christians, uh, against the testimony of Scripture, believe that somehow grace is conveyed in that act. Um, But it is good to observe and to think through as our culture thinks through uh, the the resurrection that will be next week as we celebrate uh, the the resurrection of the Lord on what we call Easter Sunday. Uh, It's good to set aside time and to consider the implications of Palm Sunday. In Jesus' first Advent, when he came into the world for the first time, he came humble and riding on a donkey. He came to his own, John says, and his own did not receive him. The, the Lord of, of heaven and earth, the maker and creator of all things, came to his own people, to his choice nation, who he called out when that nation was just one man, Abraham called out from Ur of the Chaldees. The Lord brought that nation up out of Egypt. He set it on a land. 
He tore them off that land for, in, in judgment and then brought them back to it again in mercy. And then he came to them, the, the Lord whom they were seeking, it says in Malachi, came into his holy temple and when he came, he was rejected. The rightful king of the world came to receive a crown and he was rejected. Riding into town, Jesus says this in the Gospel of Luke, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hand gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing? Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The king walks on the earth. He he comes to his own, comes to receive honor which is due to him, and humanity does what humanity has been doing from the beginning, and rejects him. And that, I think is the lesson that we ought to take home and consider on Palm Sunday. The Lord is a great and mighty king. He is righteous and good and his government over men and women and children is good. And yet humanity consistently rejects his lordship. Now the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 8 that when Jesus was raised, when, when Jesus was resurrected from the grave, that he was given a name above every name. He was seated at the right hand of his father and the scripture says that, that everything has been put in subjection under his feet. And then the, the writer of Hebrews, I think in this, this section, he goes to, to the way that my brain works. He just, he answers this inner response in my heart, right? It says that God has put everything in subjection to his feet. And my response is, oh, is this what the world looks like when God is king? At the last 2,000 years, is that a, a description of, a, of the world that God is reigning and ruling over? The writer of Hebrews says this, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. And then he says, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Jesus is the rightful ruler, the rightful authority, the rightful king of the earth. And yet, the world does not look like he is king. Why? Why the delay in returning and setting up a kingdom? Why, if he is king, why are all things not in order and ruled according to his desire? Why is there still wickedness and unrighteousness and sinfulness? Why? I think that we can find some answers in this text. But the short answer is this. Because now is a time of mercy. But a time of judgment is coming. And the Lord's heart is merciful. But it is it is merciful on a timeline. And that one day that timeline will run out. 
and then there will be nothing left except judgment of the wicked and reward of the righteous. I tremble inside to to proceed and to speak about judgment because I, in and of myself, apart from Christ, know that I am not righteous. And I'm reminded of, of my personal failings and failures on a daily, if not hourly, basis. But we must consider the, the, the subject and consider the, the heart of God. Uh, God tells Abraham, and we reviewed this, I think it was three weeks ago, God tells Abraham that he is going down to Sodom to, to judge it. He, he tells Abraham that he's going to tell him what he's going to do, and then he, he explains why. Because, Abraham, you're going to be a great and mighty nation. You have a responsibility towards this nation. I've chosen you. You're going to be the, the, the conduit or vessel that's going to, going to begin this nation on the earth, and righteousness is going to come through you one day. Speaking about your great, 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 Abraham's great, 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 great grandson, Jesus Christ. Um, and, and so he says, I'm going to go down and I'm going to inspect Sodom and Gomorrah and see if their sin is as great as it has been said. And if it is, I'll know. And if it's not, I'll know that too. I'm going to, I'm going to inspect. And that's what we, we spent our last bit of time talking about. And then the two men who are with him, who with the Lord, go and they leave and they head down towards Sodom. And at this point, Abraham intercedes for the righteous in Sodom. He, he challenges the Lord here. He says to him, Lord, you're sending these men down to Sodom. You're sending them down there to inspect the condition of the city and to, and to look through it. And then if it is unrighteous, you are going to judge it. But it, is it your plan, Lord? Is this, is this your plan to sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Are you, are you just going to go down there and if, if, if as you inspect, if you, you reach a certain number of sins, then you're just going to decide to destroy this city? You're just going to eliminate it. And you're going you're to destroy them indiscriminately, sinners and righteous. If there's 50 righteous people there, and a whole bunch of unrighteous people, are you going to just blow the place up and not spare the 50 righteous in it? I think this is an issue that is at the heart of our thinking as Christians. And, and I've said this before, and I'm going to repeat it again because I think it's important. The issue of the righteousness of God, of the goodness of God, of, of God's keeping his promises and operating according to his own principles is, is such a key issue for believers. We need to see this and we need to be able to affirm the, the righteousness and rightness and goodness of God. Because if we don't, it will gnaw away, I believe, at the foundations of the gospel in our hearts and minds. If we're not good on the issue of the goodness of God, then, then we will see God as petty and vindictive and, and subject to any whim. And so we need to establish the righteousness of God. Abraham has, has up till now, his interactions with God have been that, that, that God has displayed completely righteous and good and noble character. 
And he has been overjoyed and rejoiced at at the, the rewards and the blessings and the benefits. And now God comes to him and says, I'm going to go and judge. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring judgment upon this city if the wickedness is as it has been said, as as far as the, the complaints have arisen to my ears. And and Abraham's response is if you judge both the wicked and the righteous the same. This will be a violation of what I know of you. Will you save the righteous? Will you, will you do that? Will you, will you judge the guilty? Will you, will you be just? It's interesting. The scriptures say this in Proverbs 17, 15. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 17, 15. What's, what's being said there is it, is it is not right for any person to say to someone who's guilty, I'm just going to wipe your record clean and make it as if you never committed that sinful act. No, if, there's, if there has been, been some wickedness done, it must be punished. And if someone is righteous... And someone is either uh, accepting of a bribe or, 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 or doing somebody a favor and they say, that righteous person, I'm going to condemn them as guilty for a crime and, and sentence and punish them. Proverbs says that both those things alike are an abomination to the Lord. Why? Because they're not consistent with the righteousness and justice of God. And so Abraham, in a a very right spirit, I believe, complains and appeals to the Lord. This this is not right. If there are good people in that city, you cannot kill them. You cannot do that. That That would be wrong. Do not do this. Now I want to point out two sets of facts here. One, things which Abraham does know. And then things which Abraham does not know and then draws to a conclusion, okay? Here's what Abraham does know. Abraham knows man's proper place. And I think that this is something that we in our generation in large part have forgotten in our modern, materialistic, rationalistic society. We, we constantly put God into the, 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 the seat of the accused and we bring a trial against him and say, is he good? Is he righteous? Why are there so many starving people in the world if God is God? You know, which you could turn around and ask the question, why is there so much money in America if we care about starving people so much, Right? You know, that, that, that's a good question. Uh, and I'll tell you why there's so many starving people in the world. It's because there's wicked men running countries, taking the money that's sent to those countries that's supposed to go for food. That's what happens. Anyway, we put God in the, 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 the seat of the accused and put him on trial. That's not what Abraham's doing here. Listen to what Abraham says. Verse 27, Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Right? He's saying, you're God and you're powerful and you're strong and you can do anything and, and you can make promises and, and give people children, even though I don't know how that works. You can do all this kind of stuff. And I've actually, I've, I've challenged you. I've undertaken to speak back to you. I, who am but dust and ashes, 
Verse 30, he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Verse 31, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Verse 32, Oh, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak again but once. Do you see his posture of humility? He's saying, help me understand what's going on here. Show me your way. Teach me your truth. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not, I'm not judging you. I have no right to do that. I am not your judge. I am seeking to understand. Tell me your ways. Because that's what Abraham said he was going to do. Well, I, shall I tell Abraham what I'm about to do? Yes, tell me. Now tell me why you're doing it, Lord. Abraham knows his place. I think many times we are guilty of of thinking that the Bible is written not to inform us of God's character and our responsibilities, but it's written like some kind of secret puzzle box that if we could just figure it out, it would it would like unlock and, and unleash all kinds of goodies on us. Right? We're just, we're just like, oh, this is, a, this is a gift given to me by God to help me figure out how to live my best life now. To get everything I can out of life so I can be happy, happy, happy. That's, that's, that's man, and if, if God doesn't do that, then I'm done with him. That's judging God. God is God. He deserves to be honored and feared and respected. The Bible says that we are his friends if we believe in Christ, yes. But we are also subjects in his kingdom. We are also servants, and he is our master. We are also creatures, and he is our creator. We need to remember, even if the President of the United States was our friend, we would not casually stroll into his office and put our feet up on his desk. You would treat him with decorum. How much more the God of the universe. But the goodness of what's going on here is, notice God doesn't say, how dare you, the nerve of you, to the incinerator with you, God receives it and speaks to him. He does not reduce him to dust and ashes, but instead answers and speaks to him. Because God is gracious and kind, he will hear the complaint that is offered in faith. He will receive the appeal, and he will answer with kindness and truth. And that's what the Lord does. But now let me tell you what Abraham doesn't know. He knows his place, but what he doesn't know And what we do know from the scriptures, because we have the word made more sure. Think about what Bible Abraham has right now. How much scripture does he have? How many many words of the Lord does he have? He's got like a handful of sentences. Genesis hasn't even been written yet. He's the character. Like he's not, his biography hasn't been written because he hasn't died. God's just spoken to him and made some promises. Abraham's kind of like... I'm thankful for you, and I, I, I love you, and I love the blessings that you're giving me, but who are you? What Abraham doesn't know is about the sinfulness of, of man. He doesn't know that in truth there is not a single righteous person in that city. And we might appeal and say, Oh, surely the Lord would not destroy the city of Salisbury. Surely he would not do that. There are many righteous people in this city. On any given weekday, 
about 130,000 to 150,000 people in this city. Surely the city is full of righteous people, to which I say, apart from the righteousness of Christ given by God through faith in Jesus, there isn't a single righteous person in this city. And God would be completely just to blow it up at any second. And Abraham doesn't know that. He doesn't know how sinful humanity is. And there are many times that we forget it. And we forget that with each and every sin that we commit, we are running up the bill and we are working for sin and we whine when we have to pay. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. If I go to work at my job and I clock my time card and I keep careful notes and records and the HR department does as well and then the the boss of the company refuses to pay me, I can go to a judge and say, judge, I demand my wages, and the judge will say, that is what is just. Here are your wages, and I'll get paid. We have each and every one of us, all of us, worked for sin. And the wages of sin is death. And on the last day, God has a right to say to each and every one of us, you worked for this. You earned it. Here it is. Here is death for you forever. Abraham doesn't know that. Abraham doesn't know about the holiness and purity of God. He doesn't doesn't know that God's eyes are so pure that he cannot look upon sin. He he doesn't know that, that God is holy, 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 completely set apart. That he cannot abide sin, that he cannot stand it, that it cannot be in his presence. And that only one who is completely and utterly righteous and just can be in his presence. But he also doesn't know the gracious heart of God. He doesn't know the love of God. He doesn't know that God is merciful and kind. And as the scriptures will say later in the book of Acts, that that in the past God overlooked times of ignorance. But now that, that Christ has come into the world, now he's calling people to acknowledge their sins and their wickedness and to put their faith in Christ as they repent. The scripture says this concerning the love of God. Abraham did not know that this was coming, but he believed that God was going to bring a blessing to the world. And this is the blessing. Romans, I believe this is chapter 5. I don't have the address here. I just have the scripture. Uh, Romans chapter 4. While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Abraham does not know. He believes that in that city that there are 50 people at least. There's got to be at least 50 in there. I mean, this city's probably uh, around 100,000 people maybe. Might be a little smaller than that. Maybe like 75,000. There's got to be 50 good people in there. There's got to be. I think Abraham sets the number low because he's aware of how wicked Sodom is. Remember, he wouldn't make an alliance with the king. There's got to be some good people in there. There 
are no good people anywhere. In the, in the sense that they are, they are righteous before God. Instead, as people hear the news that God will cancel out sins because he's placed them on his son. And if we believe that his son took our place on the cross and put our faith in him and say, your eyes are too pure to look upon sin, but, but because of your purity, you turned your face away from your son as you placed all of our sins on him and you crushed him because you did that. I know that, that you will give me his righteousness if I believe that Christ took my place. I believe that I deserve to be there. That, that you will give me his righteousness. And I'll be able to stand in your presence, not because I earned it on my own, but because you united me with him. I died on that cross spiritually speaking, and I've been given Christ's life, his righteousness credited to me. You've reconciled me to you. Verse 11 of, of I believe it's Romans 4, says, more than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, whom through, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Abraham does not know that God is launching a rescue effort to receive sinful humans to himself, to make them clean. Acts 3.18. What God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, right? God, God foretold this to Abraham, but it's, it's, not been, it's not been spread far and wide yet. We don't have a nation. We don't have a law. We don't have prophets running all over the place. We don't have predictions of Messiah. We just have, have in you all the nations will be blessed. What God foretold by the mouth of the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, thus he has fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. And so let's think just a couple of minutes of, of two implications of what's going on here with Abraham. Abraham is appealing, Lord, be merciful. Lord, show mercy. But he doesn't know how to make all the parts work because there's not enough data there yet. He just knows that if God is good, God will do something. And we as believers know that God has done something in Christ. We're going to celebrate that next week. By the way, well, I'll say this in just a moment. Just getting ahead of myself. We know that God has done something. We also know that many times we act like he is not. Some, I believe, in this room are probably still thinking if I can just figure out the right prayer or right things or if I can attend church every week, if I can, if I can do this good thing or that good thing, that, that on the last day God will accept me. To which I would say this, Abandon all hope of seeing the face of God and receiving anything except judgment unless you repent and put your faith in Christ's death on your behalf. Salvation is only through Jesus because there is not a single righteous person. No, not one. And second, this is my second application here. Abraham did not know what we know. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and he has entrusted to the church the message of reconciliation. 
God has a plan to save the Sodoms and Gomorrahs of the earth. And that's every single city in the entire world full of wicked, unrighteous people who, who, who live their lives in a way that's contrary to God. And do you know what his plan is? His church. There is no plan B. There is only us. You might think, surely there are other Christians who will share the gospel. Why would we think that? Why, why would we give the glory and honor of being ambassadors of God to others? Why would we, why would we hand the task off to other people and say, well, other people can do this great work which God is doing in the world. Why would we do that? We do it because we still struggle with the effects of sin in our lives. Yes, Satan distracts us. At times, we are fooled into thinking that we're smarter than people who don't believe in the gospel, but that's not true. We're too focused on our own lives. I'm, I'm too busy watching movies and football games and reading books and, and, and buying things and surfing the internet and commenting on Facebook to care about other people. I'm too busy looking at, at someone's sin and saying, that person will never come to Jesus, not even going to try. We judge the worth of the life by the sin. We say, oh, they've sinned in that way. Somebody sinned that way against me once. I'm not going to share with them. We judge our salvation. I'm in Christ. Why? Because I'm good. And we forget that it's God's grace. We buy into the lie that, that, that their sin maybe isn't that bad. You know, like, so they go out on Friday night and get a little nuts. You know, it's not like they're out in the street stabbing people. We reduce the sinfulness of their sin. We think maybe judgment will be long in coming. There'll be plenty of time for them to repent. Maybe someday I'll have, I'll have enough time to share the gospel with them. We think someone else will reach out and share with them. We focus on, on building the relationship. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to, I'm going to show them that, that, that I'm raising my kids right and I am mowing my lawn and waxing my car and, you know, and that my life is good and maybe they'll be like, oh, your car is so shiny. Tell me your secret. And I'll be like, it's Jesus. Don't you want to know him too so you can live this wonderful life? We think, oh man, you know, I can't answer every single objection. You know, if they say, oh really, doesn't Stephen Hawking's theory of quantum physics and, 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 and the theory of relativity invalidate the need to believe in God and there is no prime moving principle in the universe and that, and that, 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 that math explains everything? I can't answer that objection. Your neighbor is not going to say that, one. <laughs> and two... God is the one who's at work in their heart through the power of the Holy Spirit as you bring the word to bear on their lives, a word that's true, addressing a need that they really have. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, God works in them. We think that we're alone. We think, I can never convince this person of the truth. You can't. The Spirit can. The Spirit is the one who gives life. The Spirit is the one who works. You are there setting the ball like the guy in front of our girl in front of the volleyball net putting the ball up in the right place so the holy spirit can strike it home faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of christ they need to hear as the spirit gives them life you need to put the word in front of them 
I should say, we need to put the word in front of them. We think the primary problem that people have with the gospel is their intellectual disagreement and not spiritual rejection of truths about their own sin, their defense of their own righteousness, denying the the judgment of God and God's right to condemn them for their sins. Have you ever felt like this sin is such a small sin it's so, it's so, God will be okay with it. I'll pray to forgive later. I'll pray that he forgives me later. And I'll just, have you ever felt that? That's, that's the principle that all unbelievers are struggling with all the time. Surely this is not enough that, that God will judge me forever. Minimizing of sin. We become judges ourselves. We believe that God will allow some people to go free while condemning the really bad people, failing to realize that anyone who sins is a really bad person. We allow Christianity to be morphed by the world, by the world's way of thinking, into a love the world by silent service instead of inform the world of its fatal sickness and the available cure in love. And so we refuse to plead with people. We cease to ask them, about what they think of Christ. And we do not believe that they will come to Jesus if we ask. And so we are silent. And God shows us that he will judge the city one day by showing us what he does to Sodom and Gomorrah. The fire is going to come down and destroy it. And God will do that to the whole earth one day. And if we are truly believing the scriptures, then, then, then that motivation that all around us who do not know Christ will be condemned will motivate us to speak, though it will be scary and awkward. There's a video that you can find on YouTube. Some, of, some people in the church have seen this um, of, uh, of Penn Gillette, the musician, uh, magician, comedian. Magician, not a musician, and uh, and he's he's talking about the fact that he you know he's an atheist and he's he's talking about this this show that he does and he says one night after the show there, this guy walks up to him and he says um, saw the show last night decided to come back tonight you know and uh, and I just I want to bring you this Bible you know I hope that maybe you'll read it he said I want to I want to tell you that that I think you've got a lot of talent you've got a lot of gifts and and I really think that you should consider Christ for the sake of your soul. That, that God would forgive your sins. Now, if you know anything about this guy, he's an atheist. He has no respect for Christianity. He has no belief in Jesus. But you know what he said? He said, I respect that guy. You know why? He said, because that guy believes that I am going to hell. And he shared the gospel with me. He shared. And he said, you know what I don't respect? Is Christians who don't share because if they, they don't really believe what they say they believe. He said, if, if you think I'm going to hell and you say nothing, I have no respect for you. I think that's amazingly honest. And we ought to be ashamed if we don't speak up. But here's the thing. Don't let the devil put his finger on your chest and make you think you're the worst Christian, the nerve of you. Think about all the opportunities you've wasted. 
Instead, because that's what the devil wants you to think. The devil wants you to walk out the door and think, Pastor Keith said I'm a loser. And I am a loser, right? That's, that's, what, that's what the devil wants you to think. No, take those wasted opportunities. Take that, that sense of shame and untangle it and realize that these moments of clarity, when we realize that judgment is coming and we know that we have to speak and then speak, and think it doesn't matter what this person thinks about me. When, when I say, hey, we're going to pray before a meal. Is there anything we can pray about? When, when you say that, and think they, you, you think that person's going to say, they're weird. Why did they say that? That's bizarre. Are they church people? They want me to believe in Jesus? Who cares what they think? They're going to die apart from Christ. So say something. Don't let the devil trick you into submission. Don't let your fear keep you silent. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going we're gonna to close down with this. Oh, I want to say this. This is what I wanted to say when I said, I'm not going to say that yet, I'm going to say it later. Now is the time when I say what I said I was going to say. My wife's been gone for days. I'm like, I'm barely hanging on to my sanity. And not, not because of any relative difficulty. Like my, my wife, she prepared all these meals and I've just been like opening these plastic bags and dumping everything into the crock pot and saying to the kids, I made dinner, you know. It's like, this has not been hard. I am, I am just not, I have a white belt in running the house. Um, so I've, I've taken some bruises this weekend. Uh, uh, here's the thing. You want your friend to hear the gospel? It's going to be all gospel next week here. And you know what? People go to church on Easter. So say to them, where are you going to church on Easter? And if they say, I'm not going to church on Easter, you're like, everybody goes to church on Easter. You should come with me. And you'll know that they're going to hear the gospel. They're going to. Invite them, bring them, put them in front, right? You'll be, you'll be the guy who sets the ball so I can set the ball so that the Holy Spirit can do his work. And you can take the credit for having shared the gospel with them because then you can take them out to lunch or have them over to your house and you guys can eat. What do we eat on, on Easter? Like ham? Yeah, we well, can eat ham. Isn't that weird, right? No, no, no ham in the Old Testament. And it's like, Jesus is resurrected. Let's eat ham, right? You can, you can have them over for ham dinner. Yes. There, I, I, will, I will try to throw a spontaneous joke in next week too. Um, and, and, and you can have them over and you could say, so what did you think about the message? Oh, it was funny. Oh, it's funny. Like, so what about Jesus? What did you think about that? And you can, you can then share with them and take the credit. Listen to what Paul says. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. If anyone is in Christ, verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 5, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. If you are in Christ, thank God that God has done that work in your heart. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, their sins against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you, Paul says, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled 
to God. On the first advent of Jesus, he comes into the world purchasing salvation at the price of his own life. That, that sinners who've sinned against God, that all people who have, who have ever done anything unrighteous, and that's every single human being, could have life. And then he left, but he left ambassadors behind. He left the church, that's us. And so the call to the church is to repent now and to work now. At his second advent, he will come not riding on a donkey, but riding on a horse, coming in power with a sword and bringing in a kingdom. And it will not be time for repentance. It will be time for judgment. And so the encouragement to the church is repent now and work now. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to, to hear your word. We pray that, that you would be, be pleased with the truthful communication of your word, but that you would also be pleased with, with those of us who receive it in humility. And I pray, Father, that each and every person would be impressed in their heart with the need to be an ambassador for you. Lord, not to be perfectly righteous, because that's impossible apart from your power, and not, not to have every answer, because, because no individual is perfect and knows everything that is reserved for you but instead may we sharpen our knowledge of the word may we sharpen our heart of compassion may we care enough to speak may we see brothers and sisters out there in the world all human beings all created in the image of God all in need of the redemptive message of the gospel and may we then break the silence and speak that they might put their faith and trust in you that they might have confidence in your forgiveness of their sins and that we might have joy together with them for all eternity we pray that we would serve as ambassadors for you, Lord, in a way that pleases you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this closing song together.